One of the most encouraging thoughts about mentoring, for me at least, you don't have to feel the responsibility to fill anyone's cup. You just have to empty yours. And it just feels like, oh, okay, well, I could do that. I mean, I may know a lot or I may not know much, but I'll give you what I got. And so I think all of us can say, well, I could do that. I mean, I could find some guys that I know a little bit more than about a lot of stuff and I could help them. Welcome to the Small Town Summit Podcast. Our goal is to encourage and equip you as you seek to faithfully serve Jesus in the small places of New England. Today, we've got a close friend of mine, Brian Smith, who pastors Christ Community Church in Ware, New Hampshire, here to talk to us about being a mentor in small places. So we have talked about being a Barnabas and in encouraging people, the need for encouragement in small places. We've talked about developing leaders and Timothys in the church. And now we're looking at the need for us to have mentors in our lives and being a mentor. So enjoy this conversation with Brian Smith. All right, Brian, thanks for coming on the podcast, brother. I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself to all these friends that are listening in, talk about your calling to Jesus and to ministry. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, I'll just start with where I'm at now. Um, I am a pastor in Ware, New Hampshire at Christ Community Church, and I am married to Laura, been married uh, 22 years this summer. I have four daughters roughly two years apart, 16, 14, 12, and going to be 10. So um, I live in the estrogen vortex. And uh, so I um, was born into um, a, a, a Christian family. My dad traveled a lot for work and got promotions a lot when I was younger. So we moved a lot. I don't remember church being uh, central to who we were. Um, but when we moved to, well, what I thought was a small town before I moved to New Hampshire, we moved to Morristown, Tennessee, a town of about 50, 60,000 and, uh, Metropolis. I know, I know you learn, <laughs> um, they got really, uh, God just gripped their heart and we got really involved in church, which meant I got really involved in church. Um, I'm about 11, 12 at this point. And, uh, so they started getting involved in the youth ministry and started teaching Sunday school, which meant I was there all the time. Um, and the summer of my seventh grade year, um, they talked me into going to beach camp, which was awesome. High school girls in bathing suits. And I'm a middle school boy. I thought that was a, a good deal. And, uh, one night I'm back there just drawing or something and this guy just makes this clear gospel presentation and it was like a tractor beam like i couldn't not pay attention um i go down front you know the the good days of the altar call and we we go back to this room and uh (laughs) the counselor who became a really good friend um is with me and this girl from and she's crying because her cat's dying and she wants prayer for it. And I'm like, what in the world? Why have I come down here? And then it, he turns to me and he's like, 
why'd you come down? He's like, I, I really don't know. And he said, are you a Christian? And I start weeping like a baby. And I, it was like, I, it felt like this out-of-body experience. And so he just, again, shared the gospel with me and led me to Jesus. So I'm seventh grade at that point. Um, I'll just add this really quick thing. I just, this is my understanding of religion. I, I didn't know what was supposed to happen, but I went down again the next night because I didn't think it took right. Like, I didn't know if I was supposed to like grow wings or, you know, whatever, but I certainly, and so it just began this process. So I'm, I'm in church anyways. Um, some older college guys uh, loved on me. I, I guess you could say discipled, but they really just befriended me and let me hang out with them. So that just kept me in church. They were older, cool guys. So I just thought, well, I'll just hang in church. And through the process became a, a leader, which wasn't about my spiritual prowess more. It was just, I was outgoing and I was always there. And uh, so I became a leader in the student ministry and then went to college at the university of Tennessee, 45 minutes down the road. And um, that my freshman year, um, God started stirring in my heart. My senior year of high school, this girl in the youth ministry said, you'd make a great youth pastor. And I was like, you shut your mouth. I don't want to do that. I want to make a bunch of money. And, um, but that like God used that phrase to haunt me. Um, and my whole freshman year of college, I, I got involved in a really cool Bible study. And I just kept thinking about that. I was at a fall retreat and, uh, I just felt like, again, like this almost out of body experience. Like I just knew as much as I could know that God was inviting me to be a pastor full time. And I didn't know what that meant. Um, uh, but I was like, okay, I guess. So I went home, told my church, you know, love the Southern Baptist thing. I go down front one morning and tell the pastor, I feel called to ministry and we make a big hoopla and celebrate like I'm the next chosen one. And, um, and so that was the journey. That's how it started. And God just kept opening doors and people kept affirming my gifts. And so I just kept doing it and I'm still doing it. Man, that's awesome. And it's so powerful to me that little words, little phrases, little encouragements matter. I mean, here's this girl making a passing comment and it, and the Lord used it to lodge in you a calling that you couldn't shake. And yeah. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Um, so man, for me, other people may not know this as much, but you being called out of the university of Tennessee is like getting called out of land of Ur, like full with idolatry and the Lord called you out of it. Um, so listening in, Brian and I went to rival schools uh, and we are going to try to keep the um, kind of inside of rivalry to a minimum, but I had to get- Yeah, I'm going to offend most of our listeners right now, but like one of the biggest cultural differences is like nobody knew what college football was up here. Like right. it hurt my heart. Right. Like that all they knew was there was this team, like some Tom Brady guy quarterback. And I had to hate him anyways, because I'm a Peyton Manning fan. Y'all, please don't turn this off. Brian, <laughs> Brian will apologize at the end of the podcast. Um, so, man, talk about then you were uh, youth ministry in Tennessee. Now you're pastoring an established church in where? Yep, exactly. Where and where? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, man, tell us about how God moved to bring you from Knoxville, Tennessee to where New Hampshire. Yeah, so I'll, I'll try to do the short version. Um, 
I'll just fill in the timeline. I went to seminary in Texas, was there two and a half years, came home, took a year off of ministry because I really wanted to um, serve somewhere my whole life. Um, I had had a lot of youth pastors and way too many for seven years of student ministry. And I just like, that can't be the way it's supposed to work. So came home um, and ended up serving at my home church, which I did not want to do, but I stayed there seven years, went to a church in Knoxville, stayed there seven years. And in Knoxville is really where God started to shape my theology in some new ways. Um, and nothing crazy. I just, I, um, I just started. And so part of what, how God used that was, I just started to say, you know, I'm not sure I'm a good fit at the church I was at. Um, we would do like creative meetings for the, <laughs> for the sermon. And me and another guy would unintentionally like start rewriting the whole sermon. And he wanted like video clips and stuff. <laughs> So we, we realized like, okay, that's not probably the best fit. So what, what I felt like the Lord, my wife and I felt like the Lord was asking us to do is just quit. Um, not, it was great. Nobody was bitter, had good conversations with the elder team. They were supportive. Um, and they offered to pay us for three months um, and said, God bless. I mean, they, so um you know, I tell people that felt really brave and awesome for about 24 hours. And then it felt really stupid and foolish and scary. And in that process, uh, the, we sold our house in 10 days, had zero uh, plans. It's <laughs> kind of how we roll. Um, and, and so we were like, dang, this is real. So my in-laws at the time had a house in Northampton, New Hampshire. So we came up here for the summer. That was our plan. Youth pastors don't get sabbaticals and they were paying me. So I thought we'll come up for the summer, go back and we will pastor in Charlotte or Birmingham or Atlanta or somewhere where I knew somebody that would tell me to come pastor them. And finding a church up here is really how the Lord started to stir our heart. Um, it was really hard to find a church that opened their Bible really to find a church at all, much less that preached the gospel and really encouraged us to follow Jesus. And so that was like, we, we wanted to serve an underserved area, mm. but I knew New England wouldn't have been like on the top 100 list, maybe not 1000 list for me. Mm -hmm. And we start looking for churches and my wife and I are like, dang, it's hard to find a church up here. They need more churches. Oh crap. Is that what God's doing here? <laughs> and <laughs> Um, and so, so then we like start praying and it's like, oh, it is what God's doing. And we start, I, I'd never looked for a job in my life before this. It had always been someone who knew me recommended me and that, and so I kind of had the job. And so we didn't know how to look for a church job and we start looking and this little church in Ware, New Hampshire, that was about a quarter of the size of the smallest youth ministry I'd, I'd ever had um, just gripped our heart. First conversation I had with the elder, I, I told my wife, that's where we're going to go. And we had, you know, obviously we went through the process and, but God just was really clearly in it. And, uh, and so now we're here in New Hampshire.
Awesome, man. I'm really glad that you are. Um, Brian's close enough where he and I get to catch up and meet up and been a great encouragement to me, which um, really is where we're segueing into. So if two episodes, we talked about this need for encouragement in ministry and staying encouraged, and you've been a great source of that for me. Uh, and then the latest episode or two episodes ago, maybe we talked about leadership development in the local church. So developing other leaders. And that would be uh, if encouragement in church is about being a Barnabas. And then we're talking about investing in and, and developing leaders in the church. Like Paul writes to Timothy, you have talked meaningfully uh, to a lot of your friends about the desire for a mentor and mm. feeling that need and seeking it out in seasons of not finding them. So, um, man, I want to get into this conversation around needing a mentor and, and being one. Um, and I think where we can start is, have you always felt this need for a mentor? When and how did you realize you were longing for this or this was a felt need in your mm. life? Where did that, where that desire come from? Um, yeah, I mean, so I, I didn't grow up in a, a family of pastors that wasn't on my radar. I, I didn't have any idea what pastoring meant. Um, and so I think it started when like, I, I committed to give my life to this thing. I thought God was inviting me into called pastoring and not really having any idea how to do it. And then on top of that, realizing I don't know much about anything. Like, I don't know how to be a dad. I don't know how to be a husband. I don't know how to, I just don't know. And so I want somebody farther down the road than me that can say, whether it's through how they screwed up or how they did it well, like, this is the way, walk in it. Like, and and so it just felt like, um, yeah, I mean, I, I had enough charisma and and personal skills that I could wing it but I just didn't want to do that I, I wanted to do it well it felt weightier than like a sales job or like I, I just I, it, honestly I didn't want to be like a salesman I wanted to, to do this well um and so I just thought okay I gotta find somebody that's farther down the road that may not appear but somebody that's has a track record that I, I can look at and say, not only do they have what well, success and I'm putting that in air quotes, but they got like, they're doing it with really high character. And so I just started to look for some of those guys. Yeah. And was that a, like, were you looking for a one-stop shop or were you just looking in your life of, all right, here's, a family man that I respect and I'm going to mm -hmm. seek him out and see if he'll invest in me. And, um, or were you looking for a, a kind of a one-stop shop mentor and were you successful in finding one? Mm. Um, so I didn't really have, I don't think I had those categories really. I, I think I was just wanting an older guy to befriend me mm. and probably even validate this is what you should be doing with your life. That was probably part of my motives. Um, also, I, I knew I didn't know what I was doing. 
And so I wanted some help. And so I started looking. I mean, it felt like one. So I don't want to diminish if by some chance someone that's mentored me is on this listening to this. I I don't want to in any way diminish what lots of men have poured into me. But the guys I sought out, um, it felt like it was one failed attempt after another. And it wasn't necessarily their fault. It was either, you know, whether they moved or they had a moral failing or they just didn't have the, the time, the capacity, the knowledge and how to mentor. They thought maybe they thought it was more formal than whatever it was. It felt like there was one failed attempt after another to get what I was looking for, which was just a, a piece of somebody's life that thought I was worth investing in. And I think that's good because I think that a lot of guys would probably feel like they don't have enough to offer in terms of a formal mentoring. Mm. And what you were looking for was a life-giving relationship that was accessible situationally as need arose. I I just wanted somebody that would go to lunch with me and let me come over to their house and drink coffee and say, my marriage is a mess right now. Like, how do you do this? Or I just had the first person that didn't like me in ministry and I'm really nice. Like, what is going on with this? What am I supposed to do with this? You know, whatever it was. And I, so for me, I just, I wasn't, I didn't need another Bible study. I didn't need a six week program. I just wanted an older brother. That's good. And you know what I think is one of the secrets about some of the guys in an older season. I know this from my dad. Um, he remembers seeking out older men who felt put out the pasture by the mm. younger generation. Like they mm. were no longer needed. Mm. Um, but some of that can be situational. They, maybe they want a ministry to look like it has, and they're, they're not getting asked for it. Like in my dad's case, maybe um, not being asked to travel and preach as much or the church goes a different direction than needing an itinerant preacher. But there is a huge opportunity to pour in all that wisdom and life experience into younger men that are seeking out a minute or maybe not seeking out a mentor, mm. but, but should be. And, and can I just say this, that like to any, if there's younger guys on here or even just newer in ministry, like be humble enough to know you need it. Mm-hmm. Like there's something is certainly for younger guys that feel like, you know, they got to prove their salt and they, they got to act like they know more than they do. And that is not wisdom. It's just, arrogance and um so seek out some old dude that's been doing it forever that nobody knows about but he really loves jesus and he's in your town and he's willing to meet with you that's that's gold Mm, that's so good man i remember not from a mentor standpoint but my wife's grandmother uh i talked to i was 27 years old this was 10 years ago and i was frustrated in ministry i was serving at a church underneath uh, somebody else. I was just longing for the day when I was done preparing, done with seminary and like in the place that God called me. And she said, how old are you, baby? And I said, I'm 27. She says, why don't you give it 10 years? And then you'll have more to say, more, more wisdom and like more to pat. You'll be able to pastor better. Yeah. And here I am 10 years later, 
And that feels more true to me now than it did when I was 27. It didn't think that I needed it. And now I'm like, I think I need to give it another 10 years. Another decade. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, so that was a, an awesome vantage point and like the wisdom that a next generation can afford hmm. us in, in realizing, yeah, you need that, that perspective yeah. of people in a different, that are further along than you. If you're on the other side of that, you're an older guy, like you're, and you're thinking like, like your dad did, like, I don't know what I have to offer, like more than you understand. Um, like, and I don't think guys need a curriculum. They don't need you to do a 12 week thing. They just need you to give your life away to them. And I think about, uh, it, you've probably mentioned that like that, that second Timothy too, like, like uh, what I taught you just teach others. Like just like, like just take what you know and give it away. And, and it doesn't have to be formal, just, just be there. And I just, I, I, that's what I need. That's what I need did. And I still do. It's so good, man. It's like when you're younger, you need convincing that you need a ball. <laughs> you just want to be teaching and training. And then the older you get, you're like, Oh shoot, I need, I need a mentor. And you kind of in the sweet spot, of knowing that you need a mentor and that you can give some things away. And maybe when you get older, you still feel like maybe I don't have something to offer. Maybe I'm not needed anymore. And yeah. The process kind of inverts on itself. Mm -hmm. So you've talked about looking back on it, that you didn't feel like the motives were always pure in seeking out a mentor. Mm. Sometimes it wasn't just that you, you wanted that relationship, but you were um, looking for a, a fast track. So talk about that a little bit yeah i mean this is some of the the heart work that we don't always like to do um but i think one of the things god showed me in my uh disappointment of because the the narrative um i was telling myself was well maybe i'm just not worth being poured into and but in god's kindness he took my heart another way and I mean, he exposed some motives that weren't good, but it was still for, for my good. Um, I, I Part of what I wanted a mentor for was to um, not have to put in the work myself of being grown spiritually. Like, I just wanted to be able to get to where they were mm -hmm. and know all they knew without having to go through the war to get there. Mm -hmm. And so that was really like humbling. Um, because of course that's not actually my heart, um, <laughs> you know, but it was. And so I, I think it was a kindness, like, okay, like guys are good and I've given them to the body for, to, to pour into other guys. But there was this thing Jesus was calling me to like, yeah, you just need to hang out with me for a little bit. Cause there's things that those guys can't do in your heart and soul and mind that, that, that I need to do. And if I let you have all those guys right now, you're going to skip some of that work. I have thought about that even pastorally, trying to give people shortcuts around sanctification. Mm -hmm. Like you guys just learn from the lessons that we've learned in this, and then you can just skip some of these right. lessons that you can only learn by going through it and being sanctified by the Lord through trials and suffering and then his word. So. <laughs> You, um, 
you have found at least since being here and i, I love that uh this is in-house a little bit because I, I love honoring people mm. that are near and dear to us and david pinkney mm. that esteemed papa pinkney uh, mm. has been able to serve in your life in this way a little bit can you talk a little bit about uh, maybe the overlap between what you were looking for and hoping for and what David's been to you. Um, yeah. Since yeah, God gave him to you. So he may have been doing this way more intentionally than I'm about to give him credit for, but, but he just befriended me. Um, he, he honored me. He saw value just in me, not like what I was doing for the kingdom. Um, but he also kept validating like me as a pastor. And so we would just meet and have coffee and talk. And um, I would just dump on him. And, you know, he was so kind for my first three years up here. I think every time we met, I just complained and whined and cried. And never once did he like shame me or just tell me to quit. Then go back to Tennessee, you big wimp. Like, it, it was never, it was always like this kindness and a, a little kick in the pants. Like, yeah, I hear you, bro. It's hard. And like anyone who gives up houses and homes and friends and will get it in the kingdom to come. Like that's the one we're living for. So it's supposed to be hard here, but I'll, I'll do it with you. I'll, I'll let it be hard with you and we can have coffee as much as you want. And I'll, and so it was really like this kind of, we didn't ever like do a Bible study. We didn't read through a book together. He just was a big brother that loved me and was kind and said hard things when I needed to hear him. And that I knew like, he's a couple years down the road than me. <laughs> and, uh, and he had already been a dad and a pastor way longer than me and a husband way longer than me. And had took his blows and survived and still had joy, love, and Jesus. And I was like, well, okay, I want to be there. So help me. And there was no formal plan. He just kept hanging out with me and helping me get there. This is so good, man. So for guys that are looking to um, offer themselves or be available to the Lord for mentoring other guys, the ways that you're describing David are so helpful. I think it takes the pressure off a little bit that I've got to be this mm. polished, giving you a formal program kind of thing. So let's boil it down. Like the things about David that make him, and you actually share a lot of these things in common with David, mm. uh, but the things that make him a great friend, a, mm. but one who is in a different season of life, um, mm. a little bit more senility, Right. We'll add that to the list. Yeah. Um, but uh, he's just his example of joyful endurance mm. is magnetic because you're like, all right, here's the guy who's in a different season than I'm in, still pastoring, still in the game, still loving his wife, still leading his children. And he's, he actually believes the gospel in a way that gives him joy. Mm. And, um, that makes you want to be around him. Yeah. I, I think that would be like one thing that I would encourage guys with like, look, you want to be a mentor, then be steeped in the gospel and believe mm -hmm. it and let that make you hopeful. Yeah. 
and give you a joyful endurance mm. and guys that are hungry for that who feel tired and weary and burdened will flock to that mm. i mean i think you just answered your own question <laughs> but... well i'm giving you one so i'm giving you number one that's me if i'm if we're making a list about david i'm saying look joyful endurance that i want to be around that that's what yeah. i love about david more than anything but you you've listed some other things that i think um or what make him great to be around? Yeah, I mean, I just, um, I hate pretense. And so I'm just like repelled by it in ungodly ways, probably. I just don't want to. And he's just not that at all. He just, is, he just knows he's just another dude that Jesus called to serve him and his people until he gets to go home. <laughs> and so he just, he just loved me that way. He didn't try to sell me that he had everything I needed. He just, he just was willing to like, I mean, you know, it, it takes some scary humility to say, Hey bro, I like you. And I think you love Jesus more than me. And I, would you be willing to just be my friend for a while and help me? Now I'm sure I didn't say it exactly that way, but that's, that's what I'm asking him. And, and he did. So, you know, I get it. Every, every shoot, a, a thousand people would like to get what he offered me. It was just God's kindness that, so everybody doesn't have the bandwidth to give that. But um, I think just his honesty, his humility, um, his sincere belief that Jesus is worth every hardship you will face in ministry. Um, and having endured a lot of them himself and come out the other side. Um, I mean, I could keep going, that, but that's what sticks out to me. Those are huge. I mean, I think just saying, look, you could probably find better mentoring somewhere else, but I'll give you what I have. Yeah. And I'm I mean, further along and I'm still in the game. And he uses that still in the game language. And it's like, I want that. I want whatever you're willing to give me. And I love that it was just, uh, so it can seem like humility if you feel like you don't have the wisdom to pass along to another guy, but it probably is actually unbelief. And David doesn't have that. He knows mm. that God has done this work of grace in his life. He's going to give Jesus all the credit and he's not scared to give you wisdom from being in a different season because uh, he's witnessed to God's faithfulness so you can speak yeah. to it. One of the most encouraging comments, uh, thoughts about mentoring for me, at least, um, you don't have to feel the responsibility to, to fill anyone's cup. You just have to empty yours. Uh, that's good. And it just feels like, Oh, okay. Well, I could do that. I mean, I may know a lot or I may not know much, but I'll give you what I got. And so I think all of us can say, well, I could do that. I mean, I could find some guys that I know a little bit more than about a lot of stuff and I could help them. Yeah, that's so good, man. So, all right. So let's transition and talk about being a mentor. So what has that looked like for you? Wanting that, maybe not receiving it in the ways that you thought you needed it and then yeah. now finding it with David. What does it look like for you to go about seeking to be a mentor? Um, 
So I think about like, so the two kind of, I guess, thoughts in my head are guys don't like to ask for help at all. There's just something broken in us that thinks we're supposed to be godlike and have no, <laughs> no weaknesses and, and no needs. And so it's hard, I think, in general for men to ask for that. Um, but just looking at my own life, if I'm in any way a representative, then we all need it. And so I just, I just try to, like in my own church, I've tried to seek some guys out that are younger than me. And whether they've, some have asked for it, some I've just sought out and we just get coffee and it's just a simple, how you doing? How's your marriage? What, what's God teaching you? Um, how's work and whatever. And, and it almost always turns into something meaningful and life-giving. Um, rather than, you know, did you read the six chapters I assigned you last week? And I'm not down on that stuff. I mean, there's a time certainly, but just these young guys who I know, like, I know what it is to have a bunch of young kids in the house and you haven't slept and you're fighting with your wife all the time and whatever. And so let's talk through that. And I just ask questions and they talk and I try to give whatever wisdom I have. So that's kind of just been how I've mentored guys. Now, sometimes, you know, guys, want something specific and and i'm able to give that and offer that but it's mostly informal i mean i had a had coffee with a guy a couple weeks ago and we're like talking about how you share your faith in this secular world up here and Hmm. and that was it that was all we talked about and there was no book there was no we just read some scripture and processed and cried a little and um guy this last week's telling me like man i don't know what to do I, i feel really convicted about um, coming to church regularly and my wife's not on the same page and I don't know what to do with that. So we're just, you know, chopping that up and, and, and that's like, that's it. That's all I got to offer. And that's how I try to mentor guys in my church. Have you had, um, experience to this point with, I'm like intentional. So it's being available to mentor and to pastor guys in and around your church. Have you had some relationships where you would call these guys like Timothy's in the faith where you've, you've had an ongoing relationship where this has been the dynamic of you pouring your life out into them? Yeah, I probably should have. Yeah. Clarified that last answer a little more. I mean, I have probably initiated twice as much as people have asked me, maybe three times as much. And so I just kind of throw stuff on the wall and see what sticks a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And when it does stick and guys are like, whoa, this is good. I need this. Then, then yes, then there is a much more uh, still. I mean, we've had, you know, obviously like elder training or more like discipleship kind of driven stuff. But just um, as a friendship, I just whoever, whoever like takes to it and is like, hey, I need this. Can you do this more regularly? Um, then we do. And we meet. And and with each guy, it's a little different, but I just try to let them set the tone. And if they don't have a clue, then I set it. If they're just kind of like, hey, I, I, I know I need this, but I don't even know what I need, then I, I try to lead it. But um, I, I think the guys that, that it sticks, that they're like, man, I need this it's humbling to think still like that I'm the mentor role and not the mentee feels still weird to me, but like, I I do know, like 
I get it. I'm, I'm 44 now. And I do know a little bit more about parenting than I used to. And I do know how to follow Jesus faithfully a little more than I used to. And I do know how to have joy and how to be a better husband than I used to. And so, so yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm answering your question. No, I think it's good. I have one kind of last practical question. Um, specifically, you and I speaking to mentoring men because that's a man mentor. And then mm. a woman would ask a, a, another woman a different question about finding time to mentor women. Uh, I'm curious, you know, you're a, a pastor. So you have some more time and bandwidth probably in your schedule to mentor than maybe guys who are full-time working somewhere else, or mm -hmm. uh, you have to work around the work schedules of guys that you're mentoring. So what's that dynamic been like? You're a family man, you've got these daughters at home and you're trying to find time and to, to mentor guys regularly. Mm. How do you make that time? How would you encourage guys that would say, I, I, I don't feel like I'd have enough bandwidth to pursue mentoring? or to pursue on either side, right? Being mentored yeah. or providing mentorship. So speak to that because a lot of guys, even if they had like the faintest desire, it's just so easy for us to cite all of our circumstances and reasons sure. for why it's, we probably, it's not the season for it. Sure. Um, so I'm going to say this, and this has lots of qualifiers, but I think it's true at the core all of us at the end of the day, do what we want to do. Mm -hmm. And I think at the deepest level, I mean, I know there are extenuating circumstances, but for most of us, we'll figure out a way to do things we really want to do. Mm -hmm. And so whether that's a hobby or that's whatever. And so now I know there's some guys or, or ladies that genuinely can't, but so I think, okay, so that's one, I, but I, I do think, um, I think then that shapes like, okay, well, for me, because this is so informal, it, it, it doesn't have to be an hour and a half. If you got 30 minutes, then meet at the Duncan's on the way home for 30 minutes and have a plan before you get there. So you're not shooting the bull for 20 minutes of that, but like do that. If it's a zoom, if it's a, if it's a phone call, like if it's really that important, you'll, you'll figure out a way to do it. I, I really believe that. The other part I will say though, as, as a pastor, which I'm assuming most people listen to this are pastors, I think we can feel guilty because this is our job that we have to be willing to be a martyr and sacrifice our, our nights and weekends because, you know, it's what they pay us to do. And I think that's a pretty fine line and, and you can, uh, you can sacrifice your family um, or even your own mental health for uh, on the altar for that one, if you're not careful. So like for me, I mean, I, I try to think of like, I got guys that I meet with that have Monday and Tuesday off for their job. So we meet on Monday and Tuesday at 10 o'clock because they can do that. And I got some guys that can only meet on a Saturday. So we got to figure that out in the middle of soccer season and basketball and so I just can't give every Saturday away. Um, if I do, I sacrifice my family. So I, I mean, I wish I had more wisdom. I don't think there's a hard line. And I think the tendency as a pastor is to draw one and feel guilty because you can't be that for people. And I'm just not sure that's healthy. I think you just figure it out. And if people want it, 
Like I wanted it. I, I would, I would have done anything. If David Pinkney said, I can meet you at 2 AM on Thursday mornings, I would have been there because I was desperate for it. And so, well, and I think you, that's a big answer though. Like you're saying that in passing, but everybody may not realize that guys need to want it. Like you mm. cannot, you cannot chase down people to mentor who don't want to be mentored because there's other people that you could give that time to. And I think pastorally that's hard in like a discipleship setting specifically. Mm. Um, but I think the same would apply to mentoring, like guys that want to give themselves away. The other person has to commit and show up. And if they don't, then it's like, well, I need, I want to point myself into somebody who, who's going to show up and like, and take this. Want it. Yeah. Just want it, want it. Even if it's as informal as friendly conversations, if it's um, like, I want to be available to you, mm. you need to, to want it too. Yeah. And you said discipleship. And I mean, you know, I, I think there certainly is a, when I talking about mentoring, I'm talking about like, just really just a, an intentional friendship, <laughs> not, not let's figure out how to study the Bible and read it. Although that is, that can be part of that. It's more just like the big picture of, I want to help a guy faithfully follow Jesus in every area of his life. Mm-hmm. That's what I think about when I'm thinking mentoring. And, yeah. and so I want that for guys sometimes more than they want it. Mm-hmm. And it's painful when I have to say, yeah, I can't chase you anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really hard. Um, but then there's guys that do want it. And sometimes I can't give them what they need. And that's really <laughs> fills me with guilt. And um, and then then there's times where it's sweet and and it all works and we <laughs> they get what I can they want what I can give. And so, yeah, I'm with you on on that. Well, I'm encouraged by this man. I think freshly moved. I've got more Barnabases in my life than Paul's. Mm. And I'm encouraged by the Barnabases. And I love, I love you. And, uh, and mm. I felt this recently where it's like, man, there's nothing like ministry that will humble you to the point of saying, I used to not realize I needed a mentor as bad as I do, but I very much feel like a 37 year old pastor and I need one that's like 57 to come help me. Mm. And honestly, I mean, for guys listening to this, I mean, this is a small town summit thing, right? So I'm going to make a lot of assumptions, but you're in a small town, you're pastoring by yourself. I know you feel alone sometimes. Mm-hmm. And to have a friend say you're going to make it is one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, to have a guy that did make it say you're going to make it, man, that's a whole nother kind of encouragement. So hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I'm so thankful for you living this. You know, you take yourself um, so lightly, <laughs> but are so genuinely humble and available. Mm. And I think that has afforded you a self-awareness that you needed a mentor mm. that hopefully guys listening to this can learn from you on of like, oh, I, I'm never too old or too experienced to seek this out. Yeah. And, um, but it also equips you because I think that humility and that love and that availability just opens you up to being available to help whoever you can. And that's Mm -hmm. your heart that I've seen in you. Um, Mm -hmm. I know even from talking to people who 
were in Tennessee after you left that the impact that you leave on places is bigger than uh, you are mm-hmm. aware of at the time. So mm-hmm. well, that's I'm kind. thankful for, man, just for you being a, a peer mentor for me and uh, for you, mm-hmm. your example and your exhortation to seek it out now. Mm-hmm. You have any parting parting words, parting encouragement to people listening in, either with regards to the need for mentoring or being one? Yeah. Um, let me just say to guys that have sought this out um, and felt like they got rejected, um, your life is worth pouring into. Mm-hmm. And don't don't be discouraged because the stars didn't align. Um, just keep keep asking the Lord for one. And we don't have because we don't ask. And so ask the Lord and it may come in a a weird way in a place you weren't looking for it, but just keep asking God. And for the guys that think, yeah, I don't really need that. That's bull. You do. And so be humble enough to say, I just, I need, I need, I need a friend that loves Jesus. That's farther down the road that, that, that will shape me, not just like hang out with me, but that will press in and try to form me into Jesus and, and then I, I guess I would say to those guys towards the end of their race, we desperately need you. I mean, you are our living great cloud of witnesses, especially in small places that says, like, we're not in this for the fame or the fortune. Nobody's ever going to know your name, probably. And Jesus is worth giving your life to. And you're going to take lots of blows along the way. But you can do it with joy and, and, and it, and you're going to look back at your life and not have one regret. I need, I need old guys in my life telling me that because I forget it weekly. Yeah. So if, if you're uh, an older guy listening to this, reach out. And if you're a younger guy listening to this, reach out. And if you're confused about who you are, reach out. Reach out. <laughs> that's, you know. that's, all, that's all the title of the podcast. Reach out. <laughs> Brian, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate you. Love you a lot. Thanks. Love you too, bro. Brian is a good man and a good friend, and I'm thankful for his wisdom in seeking out and in being a mentor in small places. That was the last episode of season two. We'll be back in a couple of months, but until then, I want to make sure that you know about some upcoming events that we have in the month of May. Ladies, we have our Bible training for women in Gorham, Maine on May 14th. You can sign up for that at our website. And then for everyone on May 26th, that's a Thursday, we have our Cape Cod Summit. If you guys could help us spread the word about those summits and about this podcast, about our articles, we want to help encourage and equip as many people as we can for the glory of Christ in New England in the small places. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.